Look up there in the sky. It's a bird. A plane. It's Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Those boys are so handsome. One Simon Belmont. One Trevor Belmont. One weekly discussion of comics and nerd culture. I'm your host, Robbie Dorman, literature geek and writer. And I'm your other host, Eric Z. Goodnight, professional artist and illustration nerd. And we are the Hansel Boys Comics Hour, your home for news, reviews, slightly antagonistic banter, and much, 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 much more. Huh? Huh? That's the sound that he makes when oh, he throws the, right. Got he does the whip. Got it. Yep. You wouldn't know because you're Simon Belmont and... The NES didn't have a good a sound card capable of, you know, vo- voice. I mean, it, it could make noises. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, it wouldn't be much of a sound card if it couldn't make noises. Exactly. It would, it would just be a card. It was not a very good one. I mean, Nintendo did make cards. I guess that's true. Before they made Nintendos. Mm-hmm. They did make cards. They were not sound cards. No, they were just normal paper cards. Just, yeah, they were, they were cards. They would have, like, aces on them. Or, sure. Or, like, a seven. Or or pogs. Did they make pogs? I don't know. I don't think so. I think by the time pogs, I, I pogs bet were it, popular. I, I don't think we need to go down the rabbit hole of Googling Nintendo pogs right now. <laughs> That's probably a, a rather deep one if we went yeah. down it. Yeah. Maybe it never come out. Nintendo's back in Pog form. We're back in Pog form. We are back in Pog form. Handsomeites out there, how are you guys doing? This is episode 188 after a long break. We're back. We are back. In podcast form. Mm-hmm. In pod form. Podcast form. This is not a podcast. I-, I shudder to think that there's someone out there doing a Pog-based podcast. Don't Google it. Oh, I can hear you typing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't put that evil in the world, Ricky Bobby. I'm finding things. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, how about a comic podcast? How about that? <laughs> oh, right. The thing we talk about. Uh, yes, <laughs> this is a comic book podcast. No more pogs, probably. <laughs> We're discussing Journey into Mystery, Volumes 1 through 3, uh, later on in our book club for with Karen Gillen and um, a dozen artists. Not quite a dozen, but a lot of them. A baker's dozen. There's many, many artists uh, on that. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but we have some comic books that came out not not only this past week, but over the interim of our break. We, a little uh, a smorgasbord, if you not will. How that's pronounced? A smorgasbord. Closer. Smorgasbord. <laughs> Closer. That's of course that's what it's called. Of course that's what it's called. A smorgasbord. What what are we reading, dummy? <laughs> <laughs> Play a noise. Let's read comics. Damn. It's time for Weekly Lobbies. Weekly Lobbies is the part show Eric and I will read a selection of this past week's books. I'll tell you to buy or do not buy them. Uh, this is a, like I had mentioned, uh, books over the past three or four weeks that I thought yeah, were interesting. We could look at them. Our first book is Headlopper, number six. Writer, artist, letters, design, Andrew McLean, Jordi Belair, colors, Aaron McLean, letters, design, assets. Um, we've read every Headlopper issue for this podcast. Why stop now? Mm-hmm. This is, I don't know, this is good. This is I, exciting, great. 
even. I really like Headlopper. Breaking well, news. Yeah. Dummies don't like Headlopper. I, I think this second arc, I'm way more... I'm, like, I liked Headlopper first four issues, the first story arc. I think this is better. I feel like it's more focused. Yeah. The first one was a little... A little inarticulate, a little messy. Mm-hmm. I mean, still very enjoyable just because Andrew McLean's a madman and it's just, I don't know. It's just weird, wild shit and just kind of getting to live in his world a while is a pretty neat and fascinating thing. Uh, this is better. I don't, for some reason, I look back on the first bits more fondly. I don't know what it is about this that. I don't enjoy as much, but I definitely agree that it's better than the first. So I don't really know what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> I mean, I like... I mean, it, do- it doesn't add up, does it? I mean, I like this... I don't mean necessarily this issue more than issue five, but I mean, mm. that first, those first four, that first arc, I think is more of a proof of concept about what Headlopper is than more than yeah. anything. And I think this is more focused. I think this is a more concrete... I think you're getting more character out of what Headlo- who Headlopper is out of... Mm-hmm. Out, and out of all the... And, and I think also a cast of supporting characters that I care about. Yeah. Which I think was was missing in that first arc. Where I was like, okay, th- Norgal's cool, th- but... Yeah, he needs he needs some bros. Yeah. They need... he He's ultimately not that interesting he's more interesting being the quiet guy in the background mm-hmm. being the, a little bit of a mystery the stoic you know yeah barbarian yeah. guy and having all these other characters to play off of um i don't know it does a, it, it i mean it has very interesting little side stories with all these characters all kind of moving together as one his art is still terrific still beautiful mm-hmm. uh jordy belair's colors always are great um and they are still great here i don't know it 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 feels like he has found what this is. He's kind of focused in on what these, what Headlopper is going to be. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how long he's going to do Headlopper, but I hope he continues for a while because this is uh, one of the best comics going right now. I think I don't like the little Smurf guys. I think that's my beef. You don't like the Smurf guys? I think I like everyone else. I don't like the Smurf guys. Is it, is it, are you getting, um, Ewok syndrome going? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. I, I don't I don't know. I like them. I don't know if I feel manipulated. I don't know if I don't like the way they're drawn. I I think I like everything else about this. I you mean, don't like the little guys? I Yeah, I, whenever the story shifts to them. I mean, like it is inherently interesting because they are like so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But like it just, I don't know. I don't enjoy them a whole lot. Everything else is freaking awesome i like i don't really like i mean their characters are fine if mm-hmm. a little if a little kind of in that tropey ewoky thing but I, I i i enjoy them because of what we are seeing in them in that first in issue five of of their culture and them like sending people in and then like rejoicing in the blood that shoots out of the town like that they're mm-hmm. weird there's these little weird supremely vulnerable little race of people and yet they like relish in the blood sacrifice of this tower. So I don't. I, I find that interesting, and I think that that a little bit of background information kind of keeps me compelled and hooked to see where these guys go. Um, I don't know. I'm a buy. Mm. No, this is a book everyone should buy. Yeah, it, it's very good, and I kind of like th- this. Uh, this feels like what a quarterly comic should do. 
This is like ideal. Like, hey, you want to do a quarterly book and make it work? This is it. That's a double buy on Headlopper. Number six, where's Spider-Man? He's in your heart. Kind of. Uh... Our next book is Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number one, written by Chip Zdarsky, art Adam Kubert, Jordi Belair, on colors. This is for, this is, hey, hey, do you like funny Spider-Man, but you don't want the Tony Stark Spider-Man comic, the amazing Spider-Man? Is that not your Spider-Man, quote unquote? Here's the difference. Is that one. hashtag not my Spider-Man? Yeah, I think so. Uh, here's a different Spider-Man with Chip Zdarsky writing it. It is the most Zadarsky thing. It, yes. It's so Zadarsky. Oh my God. It's almost obnoxious. It's so Zadarsky. And I, I, I like his writing. It's just impossible for me to not like, to not see him in it. But yes. I mean, I guess that's why you follow a creator. Yeah. He, he is, he is a good fit because he is a snarky, sarcastic knucklehead. And that is a good fit for Peter Parker Spider-Man, you know? Mm-hmm. He cracks dumb jokes and acts like a moron. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty natural. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like he's really faking anything. It, it, it works, but it's a little, it's super Zdarsky. It's, it's, it's almost Zdarsky by the numbers. Yeah. It, it is, it is not subtle about. It's what it's trying to do. It is making constant mm-hmm. fourth wall breaking jokes, constant meta jokes, like constant. And like, I, I, I don't know. I appreciate it to a certain extent because it is a lot closer to what I want out of a Spider-Man book than the, yes. what, what Dan Slott has been writing for years now. Uh, so, I mean, this is closer to that. Uh, but you are 100% correct when it is just hitting you over the head with, Hey, this is surely a, this definitely is a Chip Zdarsky comic, isn't it? Uh, it's funny. Uh, I, I don't, I think if I'm going to be reading it is not, there's really, I'm not, I'm not hooked by the plot. There, uh, Are the, you hooked by the fact that Andre the Giant as a scientist is in this book? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, that it's exactly who that is. That he is like seven feet tall for no reason. <laughs> and he looks just like Andre the Giant. He's not, and he's the he's the tinkerer's brother. What's up with that? I did not know that he was related to Andre the Giant. <laughs> I mean, Spider Man does. They even talk about. I mean, his his wrestling career. So mm-hmm. there's ties there. Yeah, yeah. There's not. I, I'm not enough stories. There, this guy's not drunk enough to be Andre the Giant. He doesn't have forty empty beers behind him. That's true. Are you saying that uh, we're going to have Randy Savage in the next issue? If we're going to reference if, his wrestling career. If every single supported character in this comic just looks like a <laughs> dead wrestler, I'd be really impressed, honestly. Because they're, it's not a, wrestlers are pretty distinctive looking in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a buy. I think, I, I like, uh, again, we haven't mentioned, I, I like Kubert's art well enough. I think it, it's not Humberto Ramos at this mm-hmm. point, And that's me like, oh, good. Uh, I, I, I like it. Well enough. I, 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 I like Zdarsky. I think this is, a, I, I'm honestly for a different direction for Spider-Man, although we'll see what happens after. So, Empire, Secret Empire is over. And then what, who's writing Spider-Man after that? Cause there's rumors out there that that's going to change, but I'm going to buy for this comic book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I case the giggles today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a double buy on Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, number one. 
It should just say Chip Zdarsky's Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I feel I have a feeling like it should have like that nameplate on it. Uh, our next book is by request, Shirtless Bear Fighter number one, written by Jody Leop and Sebastian Gurner, Art Nil Vendrell, color Mike Spicer, letters Dave Lanfear. Who requested this? Uh, Izzy on Twitter. Okay. Now I would have been surprised if we didn't read this anyway. This was. A thing that was certainly... Um, I saw a lot of PR about it on yeah. the internet. Yeah. A lot of, hey, image image, image was pushing this. I saw a lot mm-hmm. of Facebook posts and Twitter posts about it and near about its release. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminds me of God Hates Astronauts. Yes, it's it's that kind of incredibly stupid comic. It's a little bit more focused than the God Hates Astronauts. Like, well... It's hard not I mean, to be God honestly. Hates astronauts is like a fever dream. Exactly. Uh, I mean, this is it is it relishes that it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It is it is happy to point out multiple times that everything happening in this book is nonsense. It is it 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 dances in its plot holes, so to speak. Mm. Like characters textually saying, "What? How is that possible? That isn't you. That's." You're making that up. Um, it does. I mean, the title of the comic book, a shirtless bear fighter. He is a, that. That is. It delivers in that. There's a lot of shirtless mm-hmm. bear fighting in this comic book. Do you like it, Eric? I think I do. It's okay. really, 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 really stupid. Like it's in, it's incredibly stupid. And I say this like I have definitely I I have written comic book scripts that were at least this dumb. So I can't really judge it. It's really, really stupid. No, it's really stupid. And I think I don't like it. Really? I mean, I I don't think it's bad. Like, I, I think, like, it is doing exactly what it is trying to do. I think it looks good. Mm-hmm. I think I am just turn. I, I think I've gotten to the other end of these, hey, this is a really dumb, but, you know, dumb, funny comic book. But it's not, like, I feel like God Hates Your Astronauts is a is dumb and funny and is a fever dream uh but it, i i don't know i just can't you i can only do so much of that like this is just hey it's a dude where you see his pixelated dick for like three quarters of the comic book and i i okay got it first time i got the joke second time still got the joke and then over and over and over okay i got it and i don't it's just i i i I don't think I am charmed by this kind of purposeful idiocy anymore. At least not in this. It doesn't, the, whatever the alchemy is, it's not, it's not working for me. You think you'd like it if someone like Kyle Starks or someone wrote it? Do you like Kyle Starks comics? Yeah, I think they're good. Okay. I, I think, I think that's the thing. Like I've read all of them mm-hmm. and I think they're good. And I go, well, I just don't do that again. Like I'd like some, I, you know, I I don't want an infinite amount of these of these. I think that's the thing. It feels like this is looks at those looked at those comics and went, I'll just do that again. I go, oh, we'll do. I like something different, something new added to that formula. Like, I, and I sure some people never get tired of it, and that's fine. Like, I don't think this is bad. I just don't think I want to continue reading it. Mm, I think it's fun. I I have I have no problem with comic books being silly. I think this is a a whole genre of like dumb stoner media you know it's it's the same the same part of me that enjoys 
regular show occasionally, and I'll call regular show trash. You know, I think it's trash, uh, but I still like it. I still will like just, you know, just like binge watch half of a season, you know, it's, it's fun and it's stupid and it's the same thing as this, you know? Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a scale of like, oh, this is like that kind of thing. Like I think Venture Brothers is that, but like on the smarter side of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still like it. There's, I think there's still room in my heart for, for fun. Let, <laughs> let fun into your heart, Robbie. No. <laughs> It, it it is a little I don't know it's a little special I I've certainly read comics that'll make more of an impression on me but I don't know bless their heart I I do like it okay I'm gonna ask you one question mm-hmm. if the main character of this was Deadpool I would of course I'd hate it okay because I don't I don't see a fundamental difference there it's not okay all right but you're not it's, tired it, of it I, you haven't I, seen Shirtless Bear Fighter in a hundred comics. No. Okay. Um, if a bunch of idiot douchebags start Cosplay. cosplaying <laughs> as shirtless bear fighter, then we'll talk. I think that my whole beef with Deadpool is less with the character in the comic books and more with the fan club. Okay. I, I'm a do not buy. I. I'm a, I am a buy. Me. I my me. I'm my me. I'm mm-hmm. a me. Go go to hell. So long, gay Bowser. What? You don't know so long, Gay Bowser? <laughs> no, I don't. In the first Mario 64, when you would fight Bowser, you'd grab him by the tail and throw him. Okay, right. And Mario would go, so long, Gay Bowser! Because <laughs> he was, like, trying to say, like, so long, but with an Italian accent. But right. it just sounded like, so long, Gay Bowser. I got it. Okay, I like that. And, like, I apparently, like, I didn't even think about it until the recent rash of uh, the cake toppers. Right. Where you could get, you can get, mm-hmm. um, actually, no, it wasn't cake toppers. Well, it was just, they they're, were amiibos. They're amiibos, but they look like cake toppers. People, no, they look like cake toppers. And everyone's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get married with this. And everyone's like, well, I'm gonna get gay married. I'm gonna get Tux Mario and Tux Bowser. And they also decided that the, the regular Bowser can also be gay with himself. So people are just tweeting gay Bowsers. And this, this got me. Looking into that, and apparently lots of people remember Gay Bowser. I've I've been I was the uh, the Mario Odyssey. There's already people writing like creepy Mario copy pasta about it. I have seen it. The and, one have you you saw the one where in the hospital bed when he gives his son <laughs> that he lives yeah. a life as a dude and then gives the yeah. hat over to his son. Yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. Okay, that's, <laughs> Mario Rumble. This is the Mario minute. We're gonna be we're gonna be going through floppies forever if we don't if we don't stop uh, stop so, New Donk City and... New Donk City. Uh, that was a split decision on shirtless bear fighter number one. Next up is Secret Weapons number one, written by Eric Heiserer, artist Raul Allen and Patricia Martin, letters Patricia Martin. That's it. I guess they don't. I don't know if they have colors separate or anything like that. Uh, this is the guy who wrote Arrival, the movie Arrival. Uh, what is the movie Arrival? It's the one with Amy Adams. Uh, she's she's a talks to aliens arrive, and she is a language expert. She talks to aliens. It's like mm. a cerebral. It's not the Arrival with Charlie Sheen. That's a very different okay. alien movie. This is like came out last year, I think, or maybe early this year. Well, he did say Amy Adams, so you have my attention. Yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, he wrote that, and it was 
it's very well received critically and and commercially. Uh, and now he's you know that that's what that's what the solicitation solicitations for this were like. Yeah, it's the screenwriter of Arrival, that big famous movie. He's writing this comic book. Uh, but I was really more interested when I read what the kind of the pretense was, the plot, uh, the synopsis, uh, mm-hmm. because it remind like we just had the discussion when we were reading Generation X uh, about what do you do with kids who have powers that are basically useless, and they're still technically super powered, but their mm-hmm. powers are kind of you know they're, they're gold balls. Yeah, they're not com- They're not. You're not gonna. They're not gonna be like fighting off evil with them, you know. Mm-hmm. And and this is a little bit that. In a certain way, I mean, there's a lot more going on, but the main characters of this are all reject, uh, powered people, metahumans, basically, who are being hunted and absorbed by something, some something. I mean, I don't something. It is a thing. I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know. I like this, Eric. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts? It's a it's it's a comic book. <laughs> I don't dislike it. Um. Sorry, if you asked me a question other than that, I think I was caught up in reading it again. I, I I can't think of like what this artist reminds me of. There's definitely either I've seen them before or we've read something fairly recent that it reminds me of a lot. It's kind of got a, a, a Vila Lobos kind of feel to it. I was going to say those exact words. Yeah, you were going to say Vila Lobos feel? Close to him, yeah. Okay. No, I mean, it... Maybe something like already too. It's like it's like less weird already with the like the the faces and things. It is a nice looking book with an interesting enough looking story. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Like I think it's definitely worth checking out and reading a couple issues of. I think it's a solid book. I I don't have any sweeping opinions one way or the other. Yeah, I, I, I think it it plays a lot of the right notes. You know, it introduces interesting and compelling characters and interesting and compelling scenes. It tells a comic book story. It is ultimately maybe just a little, I don't know. It's it's a little bit forgettable. It could easily get lost in the sea of other comic book content coming out right now. Yeah, I, I think that's the one thing I think it's lacking. Is a little. It needs a little bit extra punch. A little mm-hmm. bit. A little thing that sets it apart. Uh, I don't know if it's. I, I. I mean, I like this, and I'm probably gonna check, continue reading it. Um, I, I think it's worth reading, especially trade down the road. Um, I think it. Pro- I think this will probably read better in trade. I think it's one of those comics. I think it's one of those where you get. You'll get a. It'll be a better story when you have it collected. Um. But I, I'm in, I am intrigued by just the heroes with, you know, metahumans with no real mm-hmm. powers, that kind of thing. Like, that's an interesting idea to me inherently. And I, you know, it, it has a little bit of Warren Ellisy stuff in there too. And I think that's the thing that, I mean, and the dude is a sci-fi writer, so that makes sense. I think it kind of reminds me of, uh, the newest, is it Wildstorm? What is the newest comic that he's writing now? Yeah. The wild, the Wildstorm. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that yeah yeah definitely yeah but i'm I'm a buy i'm i think this is a it's good yeah, yeah. check it out 100 percent. it's a double buy seer weapons number one next up we have an extra we have a bonus issue this week too mm-hmm. it is clue number one written by paul allure art nelson daniel letters neil uh, you could take that's my guess this is a this is one of the most robbie of robbie picks yeah i mean I did, I did not go into this expecting. Okay, Clue the movie is probably my favorite comedy. 
comedy film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I didn't go into this comic. I, I mean, I read the solicitations and I read, looked at the previews and I'm like, oh, this is, they're clearly not going for what that film is. The film is like a weird slapstick period piece. It's a straight, like with lots of work. It's like, I don't know. It, it's adjacent to the film, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. because frankly, the, I think that film is the only thing that has adapted a board game in any way and been successful artistically. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're going to look at that and go, okay, that worked. So what, what can we take from it? But this is more meta in a lot of ways because the butler is just talking directly to the reader, uh, the entire, entire comic. Um, I don't know. It, it is, is definitely playing off, you know, it is modernized clue. All the characters are, there's a couple characters who are clearly like, mm-hmm. Hey, look, one's a rapper. One's Martin Shkreli. Iggy Azalea. Yeah. Um, then there's like other ones that are like, Hey, that's that. It's that guy basically. Um, but there's, there is, it, it's clever. I think it is clever in, in, in ways. It is, it is not wretched. I no, don't know. No, it's, I mean, that's the problem. Like, I don't know. Like, I think this is probably as good as a clue comic book you could hope for. Mm-hmm. Like, but I don't know if I, I mean, I like it, but I don't know if it's good. I mean, like it's good, but it's not like blow my socks off good or anything. It's just, I think it's, it's a licensed clue comic book and it is doing what it can, but it's this idea of like, Hey, it's a murder mystery set in this mansion. You have to use like, these are the ingredients you have to use. And I don't feel like this is, like, I feel like it is, I think what it is going for is that it wants us to be trying to solve this mystery. It is going for, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you as a kid ever had these, these, like, they had pocket books, basically, that had, that were, like, really, actually, like, really thick, but had really fine print, and would have, like, like 30 or 40 little tiny three-page mysteries in them. And I loved them when I was a kid. And you'd read them, and you'd have to figure out who did what and how. And it was always, you know, it's always, like, there's always, like, weird logic puzzles and riddles involved in them. And how did a person get in this room without leaving the door open and stuff like that? Uh, and it feels like that's what this is going for, where it wants us to work alongside uh, the people in the comic and try and solve this mystery. But you're asking me to invest in these murderers about these people that I do not care about whatsoever. And... I, I, I don't, the reason that film works so well is because all the cast is like incredibly charming and charismatic mm-hmm. and play off each other. They have natural, amazing natural chemistry with everyone. And this, it just doesn't, that doesn't come across in this comic book. I was going to say that that is really my beef with this is I don't think any of the characters are interesting or likable. And that's, that's the problem with it. Yeah. Like I, I feel like the things that it's doing, all the like weird metafiction stuff mm-hmm. is actually what's interesting. The fourth wall breaking and like how apparently there's variants of the books with uh different clues at the like, end. Pa- yeah, different pages. Yeah. Like I like that a lot. Like I think that's a really sort of clever like it's like the book itself is kind of a game. And I think that's a pretty fascinating thing. Like I think there's a lot of things that it's doing pretty well but like it i don't know there there's not a single likable character in this book no except really. maybe the butler yeah I do, I do i do like all of his stuff whenever he's like talking directly to you it's very interesting and it's fun yeah i i think that that film works is because yeah those i think none of those characters are really likable mm-hmm. except for maybe mr green uh but 
they are all still really charming and funny. So you mm-hmm. still are like, oh, it's I like they're they're like I still really like Mrs. White in that film, even though she has basically killed her husbands. Uh, it's at or, or Professor Plum is a a, a, a predator. It, it's it you know they're still like weird charm to all of them. These are just kind of like front facing tropes of people we know from real life, mm-hmm. and you're like, um, I don't care if I want them all to die. Like this is. This isn't, I, I mean, why does it matter who kills them? Like, I don't, it, there's the stakes behind it. Like it, I, I, I don't, I don't know what it have to do as to make that game part of it more exciting and make it, I, I don't know. I, I didn't think we talked this long about this comic book. Uh, I, I, I think I'm, I, I think it's like, it's, it, I don't, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a mushy buy. I think I'm like a buy mush meter, like four. I think, yeah. it's, I think that's where I'm at. I think that's a fair number. I could go higher, but I'll uh, I will second your motion. <laughs> so that is clue number one. Double by Mushmeter of four. Our final book, our our double super secret bonus book of the week is Batman number twenty six. Um, the War of Jokes and Riddles is happening, Eric. Can't be. Um, I'm not going to get interested about that. Okay. I mean, basically, Tom King is still writing Batman. Mm-hmm. I don't care about your war of jokes and riddles. That's stupid. <laughs> um, I like that Tom King is is writing Batman still. <laughs> this is a good Tom King Batman story, and it is. It's not a terribly uninteresting idea of uh, these villains kind of fighting each other, but it's just. I don't know. I feel like so many things have been done in Batman. The, 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 those gimmicks are not really going to sell me on a book anymore. I just hope it continues to be, it continues to be pretty good. I would, I, I, I I'm upset we missed the, uh, the Elmer Fudd issue. Did you read it? I did not. It's supposed to be really very good. I, I'm, I, I just can't. I think you you'd feel different about it if you read it. A lot of people have told me it's excellent. It, I I I mean I've seen a lot of pages from it in panels, and all I see is a human, a weird like Elmer Fudd looking human who still talks like he's Elmer Fudd. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't know how I could get past that in my head. Get past him talking. Oh, I gonna go hunt a rabbit. That kind of. Just maybe just have fun. I don't know. I can't let fun in my heart, Eric. That's true. I can't do it. You got all that cholesterol there. I I, I like the idea of the jokes. The jokes and war riddles is fine with me. I think it's yeah. it's. I don't. I'm not like super excited about it or anything, but I think it's in, it's interesting enough. Uh, and I think that a lot of it is going to be like the next issue is Kite Man. Like it's just like Kite Man's experience in this, who is like a the lowest he's like he's like a superior foe spider-man villain in uh, from he's like the shocker and or boomerang or whatever and he's just like on the street level dealing with all the joker and riddler fighting that could be that's gonna be fun uh we also missed batwoman uh, batwoman batman proposing to catwoman at the end of the last issue before the jokes of war the, the war of jokes and riddles started and this is basically a flashback to that this this that time so we don't know what happened between Batman and Catwoman, and did she say yes and all that for until this is over? So who knows? 
Are they going to get married? Is Catwoman going to say yes to the dress? You really just said that. Yeah, so? Just going to be quiet? I'm not going to say anything? I'm getting tired of Mikel Janine and his uh, <laughs> his poser artwork, his, his 3D modeling. Because there's definitely some stuff in there. Like when he's drawing like these textures on Clayface and the Scarecrow and, and Killer Croc, and they look awesome. They look great. <sighs> I, I just, I don't know. I guess when you're working at this pace, you got to do what you got to do. But I, I wish I could like Mikel Janine more. It's so hard to look at this, to look at this, this dumb Riddler face. And just not see a fucking like CGI that's been traced. Do you making the same damn face in every panel? Do I what? Do I? I. I it's a thing that happens when I. I mean, when I talk to my friends who are take, who've been went to music school, mm-hmm. and they're and I talk to them about a song, they're like, "Yeah, that's really boring." They're like, "That chord structure is so boring," and I go, "I did not notice it." Yeah, and it's the same thing when you say that. I'm like, I don't. It's that education of and and you and just the practice of working in it you just see those things does that bother a lot of people uh people like me <laughs> i mean people that are batman fans probably don't think about it probably not you know like i had a discussion about it with brandon graham on twitter you know it was mostly like him talking about it and me throwing some you know throwing a little salsa in the mix um, but there was, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth. I feel like I had something to add to the subject, but it, it, it drives me nuts. I, I definitely want to see, like, I like high quality art, but I think at a certain point you gotta, I see the cheats and I don't see the art, you know, mm-hmm. you gotta, you gotta hide your cheats from me or, I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather look at Greg Land than, than this, but I'd say that they're, two peas in a damn pod you buyer um it's tom king batman (laughs) i um i think this has been consistently uh one of the best runs of batman one of the things that's the most worth reading so i mean i say keep going (laughs) you know you've been reading it keep reading it tom king knows what he's doing i i i enjoy it so much more than that snyder stuff didn't we read all of it? We did read all of Scott Snyder's Batman. God bless our hearts. Snyder and Capullo, who are now back yeah. together working on metal. Are they? What is it? Who's it? It's Batman. Published by it's DC. Oh, it's, ba- it's Batman. Oh. I guess they they it's, couldn't they it, couldn't figure out other characters exist. I don't I don't know what it, it it it's supposed to be setting up some big thing in DC, but I am I just can't find myself interested in like more Snyder Batman. It doesn't matter there what. Are, there, there are probably plenty of people that are. No, there definitely are. Uh, there's, there's a I lot think, of them, but I'm yeah, not I one think, of them. I think that the people that read Snyder Batman also eat at Guy Fieri's restaurants and think they're fucking fancy. It's just the I, – I, I just read – I just read the, like, solicitations. And, and Snyder, his, his, like, you know, him – talking it up and he's like yeah it's mm-hmm. gonna be the same kind of dark and horror filled journey that we were taking in my original in our old batman story but also not super grim and full with fun i'm like dude you can't just throw every yeah. adjective on it you gotta come on give me a 
focus down a little bit. It is everything you want. I'm like, oh, you just if you like write your horror Batman, that's fine. I just I'm just not yeah. that interested in it. Why is this guy in this book? Why is he the penguin? I think that is the penguin. <laughs> why is why is he the penguin? Because he's not the penguin yet. I think it's before he's the penguin. It's All like right. that's it's it's called it's Cobblepot, but I don't think he's like he's not the penguin yet. Again, all the all the continuity stuff, I have no idea where any of this stuff is laying and how it all works together and it doesn't I don't, like how much of Snyder stuff actually happened and it like it doesn't it it's all nonsense. So, I I this is all flashback or, or I think some of again, that's I'm confused. I don't know. They haven't really ever laid it out cuz I think they don't want to have to like enforce rules on it. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's just the penguin. That's the penguin before he's the penguin. It does. Yeah. I don't think you draw someone that looks like exactly like the penguin unless it's the penguin. I, I sincerely hope so. If it's just some guy who just looks exactly like the penguin, some, he's a, he's a, like, it makes sense. He's an assistant to, like, it's a flashback because, look, the gangsters are around. The gangsters disappear, theoretically are supposed to have disappeared at, you know, after Batman gets started and then the supervillains arrive. Uh, it makes sense because Cobblepot is still a connection to kind of organized crime. Mm-hmm. In Batman continuity, he becomes basically a he, him in uh, Black Mask are like basically supervillain mob bosses. I'm a buy. We're a double buy. Batman twenty six. I'm I I personally am subscribed to Batman, so I read all the Batmans, all the Batmans. Double Batman. I don't read double double the Batman. Double double Batman. I mean that's what they do. They it's shipping twice a month, so it is double Batman. Hey Eric. Hey Robbie, you ready for some? Hey check- buddy, you ready for some checking in? <sighs> I'm tired just thinking about it. Okay, cool. It's time for checking in. Checking in is the part of the show. Eric and I uh, talk about what we've been up to, uh, talking about nerdy things, things we recommend, things we don't recommend. Even sometimes, uh, we've been off for a while, so we got a lot of stuff to talk about, right, Eric? I uh, so much to talk about. I just keep doing things. You went to Heroes Con. You were, you had a, a booth at, t- at mm-hmm. Heroes Con. How was it, Heroes Con? Uh, it was lovely. I mean, it was just like every other Heroes Con I went to, except I couldn't talk to people as much <laughs> because I had to. I had to sell a bunch of shit. So I I think I actually did pretty okay. At least like a lot of people did not sell a lot of stuff. A lot of people um, couldn't even make their table money back, and I think I did better than that. Um, so yeah, it was pretty much a wash, you know, in terms of making money. But like, I don't know, like I met a bunch of super cool people, um, so many that it's like kind of hard to call everybody out by name. The two names that immediately popped to my head because they're constantly on my Facebook is uh, Paul Rigg and Kevin Chin. Both guys from uh, Texas, friends of friends. Um, Shelton Drum yelled at me for trying to get barbecue. Uh, um, do you know who Shelton Drum is? No. Shelton Drum is the store owner, and he started the con. And he was giving away barbecue to all the pros at the after party uh, for heroes at the comic book store. Okay. Except there was no sign that said you had to be a pro. There was just like, here's barbecue, and I'm getting in a line to buy barbecue. <laughs> and then I get yelled at. Like, you can't have barbecue because you're an artist alley. And I'm like, all right, okay, tell me that before I wait in line for 10 minutes. And it was really embarrassing. 
Uh, we did eat uh, mac and cheese grilled cheese sandwiches, though. God, the food was so good in Charlotte. We ate uh, at J- JJ's Diner and uh, a hot dog place, and we ate at Soul Food. I swear to God, I would go to North Carolina just to eat the damn dirty-ass southern food there. It's so great. Apparently, people have been, like, sneaking off and eating at JJ's Diner, and that this is just, like, one of those weird, like, comic book nerd places that just people go in Charlotte. It was actually really great. Rico, I think it was Rico? Rico had a a, a hot dog named after him on the menu that he designed. And Rico came up and said hey to me because he retweeted that dumb picture of me wearing the hot dog shirt. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Susie, who was with me, went over and told Rico that his hot dog was delicious. This all this happened within like two minutes, and then I collapsed in the floor laughing because I could not believe she did that. When you you got to get feedback. No, it, it was good, though. I think it had like pimento cheese or something on it. It was pretty awesome. I might have just had a bite of it, but it was pretty fucking good. If you're in Charlotte, definitely go to JJ's. JJ's Diner. Um, I'll, I'll go eventually. Yeah, we definitely should go. It's like way more fun because I had um, three of my uh, drink and draw buddies just like last minute. We're like, hey, we're going to go to Heroes Con um, because he's uh, my friend Frenchie is a uh, a huge comic nerd. Um, and he had a ton of people that were at the con that he wanted to meet. He was particularly excited about uh, meeting Kelly Sue and um, Zdarsky and uh, Matt Fraction, all of which I've met so many times, it's like completely old hat to me. So I'm like, yeah, I guess they will be there. I, I did not, I did not end up like in weird scenarios this year that uh, made me seem like a stalker around Kelly Sue. But she, she is, she is like, I don't know why she's so nice to me. She is incredibly nice. She sees me on the street and she, she waves at me. We'll it's like how how awesome can one person be? I think she's just a nice person. She is an incredibly nice person. She paints herself as a as a very like overly assertive monster. She described herself as I am the the most like the Incredible Hulk of anyone that works in comics. I I don't know. I've not seen the evidence of that, but I definitely get the pull, uh, get the feeling that I would not want to ever make her mad. Um. So yeah, we did the 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 brimp up the. the the milk-fed criminal masterminds or whatever the shit their company's called. We did their meetup. It was fun. Um, God, met a lot of really cool people that bought art and really liked what I was doing. And I sold um, three sketch covers, which I had never done before. And now you only do sketch covers. I have done so Like, I, I have spent so much money on sketch cover books. It's really fun to do them. Like, I seriously have like a, a short box that I will I have told myself driving back from the comic book store today that I'm like I'm done I have to not buy more sketch covers until I can sell some of these but I just want to draw a couple because it's it's really fun you know it's a blast doing them well if you like it then it's not a waste of money it's not I mean it is a waste of money because you know it all is but like <laughs> <laughs> you mean life? Life yeah, is, life is, is a waste of money. But I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm 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 having a, a, a I'm having a real big time doing them. Um, but just so many cool people. I can't remember like everyone's name. Um, but like you know, we're all like following everybody 
everyone's following everyone now on on Instagram. I have like 50 new followers or something like that. Um, so it's just like an overwhelmingly positive experience, you know. Let me tell you, those wrestling stickers were a big hit. There's a lot of us I, out there. That's true. And you're always wearing wrestling shirts, so it's easy to point you out. Yeah, you go, oh, that dude's wearing like, a... Hey, yeah, I'm like, hey, Bullet Club, come over here and talk to me. I got what you need. I got what you need here. Open your coat jacket. And you know what? Like, that was the thing that made me the happiest is when people knew who the Great Muda was. Like, so many people recognized my Great Muda sticker. Like, I thought no one would know who the hell he was. Oh, man. Um, Trace Dean, he did the, uh, he wrote the official uh, Joey Ryan comic. Okay. Uh, and he did it with what was Jamie Jones is his name. They did it. They worked on this together. Um, but like I gave a set of these stickers. I gave a set of this, like you know maybe like eight of the ten or something like that. I gave a set of them to Jamie, and he's like, "Well, I don't really like wrestling that much, but Dean will probably love these." So he he goes and gets Trace. I called him Dean. His last name is Dean. He goes and gets Trace, and Trace is like losing his shit over these stickers. He names off everyone. In the in the stack of stickers, um, and then like he he shows me the the one of the rock, which he's like, this is this is the best thing that I've ever seen. Like I love this so much. And then he tells me a story um, about how he has to really lay it on thick with his girlfriend, and he has to make a point to tell her at least three times every day how much he loves her, because at some point during every day he is just going to slip up and say, just babe. I love The Rock so much. That is one of my favorite moments of the whole con was I gave I gave Trace those stickers. He told me that story and then hugged me twice. <laughs> oh, man, it was great. I wish I could remember everyone's name. I have them all on social media, so I don't have to remember them. <laughs> That's why it's out there. I can't remember Weston's last name, but like I... I don't think, like, I, I only met him for that one night. I met him at the after party, and, like, we did a quick art trade, and just, like, I don't know. I got to hang out with that dude. It's like, you just meet somebody, and just, like, he's just got the most chill voice in the world. Like, it was just so fun just shooting the shit with him, and just, like, I felt relaxed for the first time that whole weekend just listening to him, like, bullshit about art and stuff. It was just so much fun. Him and his whole crew were really cool people. Um, who the hell else? Did I meet that was new? I think, oh, I can't remember their names. I think it was Courtney. I can't remember all these people. It would just be me throwing out a bunch of first names of people that I can't remember their last name right now. It would be a lot of meaningless stuff. It would be a lot easier if I would uh, could like link to all their Instagrams and things. But it, it was just, it was it's a great networking event and people are just really, really rad. But almost everyone was saying how they, kind of lost their ass on their table. But, I mean, I think that that's just, you know, post-election year, the economy always slows down. It's it's It happens every, every time. And I think that's what everything is suffering from now. What else What else you been doing? Well, what I else went you wanna, to... Uh, what else you want to talk about? To, well, last night... Uh-oh. Last night, even... What? I went to a little show called This Is Night Vale. I oh, think you... it was called This Is Night Vale. Yeah, I, I saw the... And let me tell you, I think it couldn't have been the better venue. Have you ever been in the Tampa Theater? I have not. The Tampa Theater I've seen the is, inside. You you should well, you you listening should google the way the inside of this theater looks 
because it is really strange and it's got all of these like Roman style sculptures and this very elaborate, like all this just, just crap, you know, like sculpted into the wall and they show movies there, mm-hmm. you know, but they, they like, like there's a, there's like an organ player that rises out of the floor before like every movie goes on and it's a strange place and it's been operating since like the twenties. Like it's a very anomalous thing that it exists. Um, and I seriously don't think that like they have a sky painted on the ceiling mm-hmm. with like actual LED stars. Like it's a it it's so strange that this place exists and it could not have been a better setting for Night Vale. Um you're of course familiar with the podcast. Yeah, I I I listened to like I was I listened to, to it regularly until about in the forties or fifties at some point and I just went, eh, Yeah. I kinda I think that like I kind of stopped caring about it, but let me tell you there are lots of people that did not. <laughs> yes. I swear when the voice of Cecil came out on stage, I have never been to a show ever and seen people go as ape shit for anything than these people went for the voice of Cecil Baldwin. I think that's his name. What is Cecil's name? I I don't remember. He's he's Cecil. That's I don't need any I don't I don't have enough It's Palmer. Cecil Gershwin Palmer, god damn it. <laughs> Um, Gershwin. Yeah. God. <laughs> Night Vale is very fun and absolutely a thing that you should listen to. And I think if you get the chance to go to um the live show, definitely do it. Uh, the tickets are hard to come by, but it was um a friend of mine who her husband did not want to go, and she invited me, and we went and. Then she she listened to the podcast with him, and then he regretted not going. <laughs> but it was definitely uh, I don't regret going, even though it's not like it's not my favorite thing. I was just very happy to have experienced it. Right. Hey, Eric. Hey, Robbie. Do you know what happened to me while we were gone? Uh, did you get a heat advisory for the the high seventies? <laughs> we did get a heat heat warning. For the past couple of days, for mid eighties yeah, in, in Edmonton, not too bad. Uh, no, I I have gotten into New Japan Pro Wrestling. Good. That's that's probably that's that sounds like you. It does. It's a thing. Is that what you're is that what you're going to go watch after this? No, that no. There tonight is a WWE. Uh, of course it is. <laughs> called Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> a pay per view called Great Balls of Fire. Nothing more topical than a Jerry Lee Lewis song. <laughs> It's got to be called something. And the logo is literally is like a giant dick and balls. It really, it's awful. Everything about it is bad. They have it is cl- you clearly. Hey, a seven year old man runs this company. Uh, no, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, is the next big thing. Is actually uh, starts on my birthday. Uh, the G One uh, event, which runs like for weeks, basically. Uh, it's a long, big tournament. Uh, but. Uh, Dominion happened a couple weeks ago at this point. Uh, which is, you can get all of this on New Japan World for not, for nine dollars a month, nine hundred yen a month, roughly. So they have their own streaming service. You can get, uh, everything in, with Japanese commentary and some events with English commentary. Honestly, uh, the Japanese commentary is fine. 
their general enthusiasm for it is enough for me. Like you don't know what I don't know what they're saying, but they're very excited about the matches. And the matches storytelling, like the in-ring stories, are good enough that you don't really need like a, a commentator going, "Yeah, look at that clothesline." I'm like, "Well, I, yeah, the guy's got he just got hit with a crazy clothesline." Yeah, I got it. Uh, I I don't. It, it's a thing that I've I've watched a lot of Japanese wrestling over the years, but I've never kept up with the like a kept up with the promotion as it was going. Like the WWE makes it very easy because there's multiple television shows running on a weekly basis and they remind you of everything that's happening all the time. Uh, but I've felt myself very bored by the WWE lately. Mm. And I mean, NXT is still great, but the mainstream Raw and SmackDown are, have been boring me. And I went, well, I'm going to watch some New Japan because everyone I, I respect, a lot of people I respect who, who talk and write about wrestling online love it. And I, I mean, I've watched matches of it, but I haven't really ever like watched all the cards and just watched everything and kind of taken in what the whole status of the status of everything. And it was amazing. And it is amazing. And it's really, really good wrestling. It's, you know, it is the, I don't know, the modern Japanese style is very much, I don't know, in vogue and everywhere that isn't the WWE or kind of, uh, maybe tr more, I don't know, uh, Mexican promotions. The Lucha stuff is mm. obviously a different style, but even they, the, the modern Japanese style in, worked in New Japan and a lot of other promotions in Japan is kind of the in vogue style of hard hitting, stiff hits. Uh, not as many dives, but there are still many. Lots of people getting dropped on their heads. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's strong style, whatever you, I don't, I don't really like that the idea of calling something strong style, but, uh, Right now, that like the probably like three of the top five wrestlers on earth are working for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and because they aren't hamstrung by how WWE runs their matches by a form the formula that WWE runs by, they can kind of do a little. They're a little bit more looser about how they structure a match, uh, and uh, they're just some of the best matches I've ever seen in my life. I've seen mm. in the last couple uh, New Japan shows, Kenny Omega. Uh, uh, Okada, Naito, those three are all amazing wrestlers. And I say anyone who's like, hey, I like wrestling fans who go, yeah, I like Japanese wrestling. I've always watched it from time to time. I watch matches on YouTube or stuff like that. I just take the plunge. Do it. I don't regret the $9 I pay to their website's a little janky because it's not designed for English uh, first and foremost. I mean, there's an English translation that works well enough. You don't you don't need to be a brain surgeon to sign up for something online. Um, it, it's amazing, and the, and it like right now is probably the best time to do it. Uh, I mean, they have everything on demand. You can basically start at Wrestle Kingdom. It, it happened in January, which is their basically their WrestleMania, and watch up through watch all the big events up till now. And you're basically you have the idea of who the big stars are and who matters and who wrestles who. And then in roughly eight days. The G1 starts, which is a big giant tournament with has a whole bunch of people and they all wrestle everyone. And it determines kind of where the company's going to be going for the next six months, probably. Um, but it's going to be full of just amazing matches, you know, that I'm really excited about. Way more excited than I am about the Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view event happening tonight. That you feel obligated to watch. I'm doing a podcast about it. So I should I need to watch it. <laughs> I'll be drinking. Of course you will. Yeah, that makes me. That makes it better. Um, still been playing Battlegrounds. Player unknowns Battlegrounds. Still a tremendous video game, Eric. I don't doubt that. Your brother won't play it with me. <laughs> okay. 
I need someone to play with. Um, no one wants to play video games with me. You got married for a reason, didn't you? She doesn't like it. Maybe it's bad. No, it's amazing. It's the, it's a really good game. <laughs> it's not bad. It's very popular as well. Like I'm not the only one who fixed this. I don't doubt that. Um, I don't know. There's a lot more stuff we can talk about. There is. Uh, Lovecraft we, Country. We, I'm I'm gonna say here. Last thing. Lovecraft Country is a is a Matt Ruff, the name of the art of uh, the author. Uh, it's a tremendous book. Everyone should go read Lovecraft Country if you like H.P. Lovecraft mythos and the idea of Cthulhu and all that stuff. Um. This is a book that it's a that a, a, a fiction that operates within a lot of boundaries and rules that have been established in Cthulhu Mythos and H.P. Lovecraft's kind of story. However, it contextualizes a lot of the problems with Lovecraft in that he was a complete and utter racist. And this story takes place in I would I think it's like the fifties. Uh, in the main, I mean, all the main characters are are black people trying to survive in in. Jim Crow America and mm-hmm. also struggling with a lot of Lovecraftian kind of things and the juxtaposition of what life was like for black people at the time, especially uh, juxtaposed with the dangers and, and kind of terror of, of the ideas of that are established in the Cthulhu mythos of the other and of insanity. All those things are very interesting when you put them together and really recontextualizes basically everything about what I thought about was H.P. Lovecraft. And I think is it does a tremendous job at showing how you can take works of fiction that are problematic um, and recontextualize them and use them to tell stories that are interesting and valuable that are still in the realm of genre fiction, but make them important because you are focusing on a perspective that you don't ever see, really, or at least not very often. But it, it blew my socks off. It's a great book. You you would like hmm. it. You're usually right about things that I that you say I would like. I actually played maybe about an hour of the Stanley Parable today. You're correct. I enjoyed it a lot. It's a that's a funny game. That's a good video game. It, it was very funny. It's it, it was the, very funny. Yeah, there's not uh, writing in video games. Like I think it does have a different scale, but in but comedy writing in video games is actually I think really difficult and. Stanley Parable is probably the funniest video game I've ever played. It's it is quite funny. I was really hoping there was an ending that I would get from the broom closet, <laughs> but but it did just make him really mad. I I at a certain point I, I I did like twenty endings and then I just went okay. What are the endings I haven't seen? I went to a wiki uh-huh. or something and just did all the ones I hadn't seen yet because I wanted all I wanted to see them all. Okay okay okay. We checked in. Well, there's still more stuff. We there... should at least acknowledge that Castlevania was released. Castlevania was released. I haven't watched it yet. You should. You should. It's only fifty minutes. Actually, no, it's a hundred minutes. Excuse me. It's only a hundred minutes. It's a hundred minutes. That's there are four episodes. You 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 know how Ellis is concise statements. Well, he's already said he's working on season two, so there's yes. more coming eventually. Yes, it's um, it's just a tease, really. But I. You need to you need to watch it. I think Netflix probably only ordered four episodes because it's an animated show. There probably is a pretty heavy investment on that. They wanted they're, to probably make sure, sure it was. They did ten episodes of Little Witch Academy. <laughs> I mean, they're doing a lot of stuff now. They are. They're making a ton of content. I think that's just where Ellis wanted to break it. Ah, okay. I I, I feel like it was. I feel like it was a definite. Uh, 
Ellis decision. It feels super Ellisy. How was Little Witch Academy? I did not necessarily watch it um, really, really intently. Um, it is it is a fun thing. It is really beautiful, really well made. Um, I kind of want to rewatch it when I'm not distracted because it's hard to really follow a thing when you're you're drawing sketch covers and people are barking at you in Japanese. <laughs> it is effectively like it is. What if Sailor Moon Usagi went to uh, went to an all girl Hogwarts? And the, okay. the late the lead character is kind of a cross between Harry Potter and uh, Hermione, but like also kind of incompetent. Uh, and you know the 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 incompetence is pure like Usagi. She's like kind of all of these things put together. Okay. Um, and it's about her like making friends with a bunch of like little funny witch characters. And I honestly think it's an excuse to draw cute witches which I think is what the internet makes a lot of excuses for that. <laughs> so I, I think that some genius at some genius at Netflix is like, all these dummies are drawing all this anime witch art. Let's make some money on that. It's actually, it, it's good. I think it's worth watching. It's cute and I think very genuine. So you could definitely do a lot worse. Okay. Do you want to touch... On the shaking thing, I feel like the that the tempest in a teapot for that's kind of come and gone. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, we should at least mention that it happened. I guess so. Yeah, Howard Chaikin released a, a cover for his comic book. It had a uh, what a Pakistani man with hanged on the front cover, and mutilated genitals. He was, he, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was covered in blood in his crotch, and yeah, he was lynched. Then he had a slur name tag on. Um, I, I think, I, I don't know. It, there was a, it was like, it seemed like it came and went in an instant. Uh, and there was like art, every artist on the internet had an opinion about it. And then immediately it was disappeared because, and then, and then, and then it reappeared for a moment and then disappeared again. Uh, I think it's still, people are still butthurt about it. The thing that upset me was how, um, essentially this, as soon as people started talking about it, um, Brandon Graham like made a joke like not even about it but like tried to like say oh hey let's not talk about that and like people just I I don't I'm not gonna name names but there were definitely a lot of very vocal people I mean it's a matter of record of who was telling Brandon Graham that he's a shitty old white guy and he's to shut the fuck up and I just I don't know I got really fucking tired of seeing that happen to him over and over again. It was just, it was really frustrating, and it, it, I don't care who you are. Internet vigilantism is fucking shitty. I think all of this rem it, it reminded me of the Strange Fruit um, Ruhaha. Yeah. I don't remember seeing anything about that. What I think the... the well, I, I, I understand why. I mean, I think it's definitely worse than this. I don't know. But, I, it's... it's I don't know. I, I I think some people were conflating. I get. I agree with the criticism of it largely of the cover. Yeah, of course. Every. I mean, who I, I the fuck is going to be like, oh, that's a thing that. Yeah, I I think that's, that's a problem. A thing like, that we I, need to, we, I think we need in comics. Of I course. think most people were. I don't think. I think it was a lot of picking about 
like a lot of people arguing amongst themselves who largely probably agree with them, each other. Like it seemed like that's, that seems to be like 98% of the people were like largely agree with it. And yet they have to argue amongst themselves mm-hmm. about what it, whatever it means. Uh, I think I, I, again, the only, the, there, I think the blowback was, Oh, well, it's free speech, free speech. I'm like, I don't think anyone's arguing that he can't do it. We yeah. all are, I think everyone is saying that's stupid. It's, it's yeah. like, there's not, you're not, everyone is saying, please fucking don't, please don't do that. Uh, yeah, that's, you're not help. There's no discourse you're creating with this. It is just a dumb thing. Uh, you're an old Howard Chaykin, you're an old white guy and you're not really contributing anything to this conversation about whatever you're trying to say with your comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like largely, and then he, and then they apologize and pulled it. And then a day later, I think Chaykin made his own get off my lawn statement everyone went, yeah. Well, the, the 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 image apology was not a very good apology. I mean, I will agree with, with that criticism of it. I don't remember if you read it or not, because it was essentially like, oh, yeah, we're sorry you're upset about this. Mm-hmm. We didn't, uh, we didn't need to upset you. Here's why you shouldn't be upset about it. No, they, they, I mean, they tried to explain, like, they tried to explain, like, what satire is or something <laughs> like that. Yes, that's the problem. You know, and it's, yeah, no, exactly. It's like, well, we're trying to take your service. Like, no, just, just, just be like, oh, yeah, what this was, this was over the line and we're sorry. It really doesn't need to be any kind of, I mean, I don't know. Now, you don't have, it doesn't have to be like this, a long statement. It can just be like, well, we, we, we are sorry. We made a mistake. We mm-hmm. are, we'll try better in the future. Like that's the long, like that, all you have to say. But instead, like, uh, Stoko, I, le- I think Stoko was the guy who basically said exactly what I was thinking. And he said, mm-hmm. I wish image would work more like a, would often think like, would act like they're a publisher, not just a printer. Mm-hmm. And they are a publisher. And guess what? When you publish things and that upset people, you're going to catch flack for it. Like, yeah. you, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know, you can't just be, oh, yeah, we're this independent company and we publish all these amazing comics and, you know, we are really equitable for our the creators and we try and give them as much of the money as we can, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, we're not responsible for anything they, they put out there. No, you can't you can't be a publisher and not also shirk all the responsibility and say, oh, free speech, free speech. We just let our do we just let people yeah. publish whatever they want. Well, that's not I don't well, I mean, we ultimately, don't... like, you know, Amazon had to take down that book about how to molest children were you aware that this happened i think so yeah I, th- I think at a certain point like there's i don't want to say there's got to be a limit to free speech but like you know i, I don't know platforms maybe maybe, maybe do censor that yeah platforms aren't they're not they're not like a park they're not like a, a you know a, a park with a, a bench in it and there's a guy yelling about whatever they mm. are a platform that is privately owned and are allowed to publish whatever they want and not yeah. publish whatever they want. Uh, I think that image should know that if they publish something like that, that that is the kind of response they're going to get. And you're, if you, Hey, look at what Marvel did. We talked about Marvel and diversity and all that, like that whole kerfuffle, which still is still a problem with them. Uh, it is an ongoing problem. The, these people are, especially Image. Marvel is less of a problem for Image. You, these are the people you're selling to. These are this mm. is your primary constituency. They're your primary consumers are people who are who would find this upsetting. So 
at the end of the day, it's a business decision to not publish things that if you're going to publish something that is challenging, quote unquote, mm. maybe do your homework first. Cause it, like, whatever satire, what <laughs> the, whatever that, whatever that comic book is, is like promoting and, and saying is a, is a story that has been told already. It's been done that we've had that conversation. We've, we're past it. Yeah. Like there, you're, you have to, if you want to be a challenging comic book, you have to be smart about it. You have to be well read. You have to know all the lines of critical, critical dialogue about whatever topic you're covering. And Howard Chaykin sure as hell ain't up on any of that. It's a funny old world. <laughs> this is more than I thought we would say about it. Mm. A lot of stuff happened. We were gone for a while. No, it was, uh, it was a busy time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want, you ready to move on? I think that's enough. <laughs> we can move on to our final segment. It is time for Nerdboy Book Club. Nerdboy Book Club is the part of the show. Eric and I sign a longer collected work, discuss it in depth like you would a book club. Uh, this week we are discussing Journey into Mystery Volumes 1 through 3 by Karen Gillan. Uh, here is all the artists I could, I, I found. I, there might be some I'm missing. Uh, Karen Gillan with Dougie Braithwaite, Rod Roddy, Pascal Ferry, Rich Elson, Wills A. Portasio, and Mitch Breitweiser. I'm sure there, there's inkers and colorists and letters in there. Um, there there's a lot of yeah, different work, art on this in this in these three volumes. There's all it jumps around a lot. It's it's almost too much to even. I don't know. I, I let me tell you, I'm not putting all that on the banner. I understand. No, I completely agree. Like I, that I, I think that is the main issue. I think when people go art cred, like I'm totally mm-hmm. for crediting artists, but when I am reading, like what happens if I'm discussing a a run of comics that's a hundred issues and there is like forty different artists and I'm yeah. trying to be concise? What do I do? Like it's just at a certain point, it is yeah. a matter of 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 like. It's it's just omission for yeah, the well, sake of like time. Yeah, like I, I, I mean for sure. I like and it it I think I mean it is a microcosm of a lot of comics that do this. We've touched on it in the past where they jump around artists and at a certain point it's hard to see where like like I feel like when you see artists an artist and a writer who always work together who work together or work together for a long run on one comic you feel like you you get a better sense of the nature of their collaboration when there is one writer on something and then like six seven eight artists that jump back and forth all around even in a single comic there's multiple artists that go one artist will do two or three pages and then another artist will do another some pages etc cetera, etc cetera. you it it is a harder thing to track where the collaboration is who who decided on what and it I'm not saying it's true, but it is easier to just credit credit a lot of the creative choices to hey, it's one writer versus uh, a a a variety of 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 artists who are doing this work, and you have to go well. The writer is the one carrying on from issue to issue, so I'm going to put a lot of the creative choices on him or. But I think that I don't know. I didn't expect to start off with that, but hey, I I think it's a problem with this comic book. Mm. It's a thing we would discuss any time, uh, regardless. Yes, true. Um, we can circle back around. Uh, Kid Loki. Kid Loki. Kid Loki. Karen Gillan, Kid Loki. Karen Gillan, Kid Loki. Sandwiched, it, like, it, this thing is a, a weird thing. Mm. Because it is sandwiched, it, it comes off the end of an event, Siege, a bad event. I don't, I don't think Siege was good. I think Siege was bad. Uh, and then goes, and then takes place during another event, Fear Itself, which was very bad. 
Fear itself is a terrible comic, terrible event comic. Um, like I think, I I don't know. It, Fraction is a Matt Fraction is a good writer. I don't know what I I think he's talked publicly about the problems with Fear itself. Um, and then like it just and then it continues on even though a lot of everything a lot of like those first two volumes are basically like here is siege and fear itself and all that fallout from these events and yet i don't know it's still i i i'm gonna from what i've read around those two events this is the best thing that has come out of it like just the kid loki existed basically mm-hmm. it, this that the fear itself part of this story was way better and fear itself, the central fear itself uh, event. I can tell you that fear itself event was bad. Um, I don't know. It's a strange. I think we talk about this a lot. We talk about how there's these side stories. There's you know these smaller characters, and where do they go when you're doing these big events? And oftentimes it feels like they're swept aside, and we're just pulled into this crossover that is it doesn't feel necessary. Uh, I feel like this. Kieran Gillen does. It feels like there's a lot of hard work put into this to make it feel important to this event. Mm. Even if in the end, the event isn't like I feel like Kid Loki is like I am much more engaged by this version of Loki than any other version of Loki I've ever read. What do you take away, Eric? This is one of my favorite things that uh, I've read from uh, from from Gillen. I also think that uh, and I, I i i think it is probably for all the reasons that you said i, I did not even realize that it was tied to these event things but well it makes perfect sense because it's kind of a mess because of that it's the most confusing and messy thing that i've read from him but like i kid loki is such an interesting and compelling character and his story is such a good one you know that he's like he's just a spunky kid who's got all these things against him that essentially the whole world, the whole Marvel universe hates his guts and he's trying to be his own version of good despite all of it. And like, it's an incredibly compelling character and it's so it, it's always a good story when you can write a character like figuring things out or being clever or, you know, plotting things. That's that's almost always a lot of fun, you know? It's like those Superman stories where he's not just beating the crap out of somebody. He's... It, 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 it does what I think a lot of current Marvel comics fail at involving legacy. Mm. And what... Well, they're going to be truly tested when when their legacy event starts, which is not too far away at this point. Uh, where we actually see—I I don't know—I we—I just don't know exactly what that thing is, but I'm—I'm I'm truly interested to see what they do with it. I—I'm—I'm I, I'm a little worried, honestly. But the, this is a way to the, the way that Kid Loki is. Hey, yeah how it fully acknowledges the history of who and what Loki is. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't, it takes away, it says, Hey, Loki was a character. He died, but there's a reason for all this. There's purpose here. And kid Loki takes that information and Gillen manages to write it so that it makes him quote unquote, a good guy, a good, a, a, a 
in in the truest sense of the word, like he wants good things to happen. He wants to save the mm-hmm. world while still maintaining the nature of what m- makes Loki a, a cool villain, makes mm-hmm. Loki interesting. The the nature of uncertainty and plotting and planning and, and the, the deviousness and traps and all that stuff. But it doesn't do it blindly. It doesn't just go. It doesn't just say, "Oh, well, Loki. This is Loki. Is here's Kid Loki. He's gonna do all the it." He, like I mean, he does it textually. He has literally Loki, the old Loki in a in a bird, following him around. It literally has every other character acknowledge the history of what Loki is, but he turns that into a strength, like you said, this uh, uh this kid against the world mentality, mm-hmm. and a lot of legacy characters where they go, oh, we're gonna name, yeah, we're gonna we're doing all this, we're gonna name this character. Uh, where this character is now the Hulk, this character is now Hawkeye, this character is now Wolverine. But it seems to a lot of the time they kind of miss the point about why it just become it just becomes branding. Yeah, it doesn't become a we, we she. It doesn't become oh like you know Miss Marvel, Kamala. They do the homework like the, at the beginning of that comic about her taking on that name. But I feel like a lot of the time. Why is Amadeus Cho still called the Hulk? Because he because he turns green and big, and because what like it doesn't like there's no real he could be called anything like it doesn't really matter. It just feels like hey this is branding. Mm-hmm. This book he's it feels it feels essential that Loki is Loki that Kid Loki is still that he directly that legacy is a direct line that we see it. It feels purposeful and intentional, and it become it is a, a, a integral part of the story. And I feel like a lot of the time they do that in superhero comics, and then it's not integral, and it's just an added piece. In this, it feels very much like he's directly he's his like half the problem that he's facing is the fact that he's Loki, even though he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't really he doesn't remember being Loki. He doesn't remember any of it. He only knows because he talked to that weird ghost version of himself. I want to throw a comparison at you, Eric, and see if you agree with me. Kidoki. It's not, and this is, I saw this other places too, but I agree, completely agree with it. Uh, this is very Sandman-esque. Oh, yeah. Um, there are many parts to where it's, it's like a heavy-handed homage to the Sandman. Like, I think, I, I, I was thinking that my own self. Probably the parts that are the most obvious are the ones where there's, like, the fear demons or whatever in the shit they are. They make no sense. No, not really. But there's, like, the the old gods, and they're the endless. Mm-hmm. One of them's even called Despair. Mm-hmm. You know, it, but he, It's, he, it's he, spelled he, funny, though. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, all the stories about Volstagg, I mean, it is essentially the Sandman told in the Marvel Universe with... The Norse gods, mm-hmm. mostly centering around them. So, yeah, like one thousand percent, that's what this is. But I, I like it for that. No, yeah, I think it, I think it makes perfect sense when you look at how the story functions. That I, I don't know if there was a conscious decision on Gillen's part to like, hey, let's make this very Sandman esque, or let's structure it similarly. But when you look at what it's dealing with, what it's tackling, I mean, it's a lot of uh, there's a huge cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all gods or dead gods mm-hmm. or form like they're all you know mythical beings. 
it's not it, it there's I don't are there there's I guess there's a couple appearances by like plain Jane Marvel superheroes in it. Yeah. Not very many. You know, it is not very many. It is about Asgard and every all the realms around Asgard and all that. Like it makes perfect sense. Like you're dealing with all these mythical beings who are like people, but also really not like people. Like it, like they, it, it, you know, that I think that's the, the charm of Sandman in a lot of ways is that like it's these mythical gods and beings with all this power and yet they are dealing with everyday human problems and treating these crazy situations they're in like, no, yeah, that's the normal thing. Like, yeah, Mephisto is all. Yeah, you know how Mephisto is, right? And you know we're we're dealing with that. It's and it's and it treats it like it like a uh, treats it like it's a like a, a sitcom almost. Uh, but told through this to but as a perspective is like this mythical lens. Uh, I mean even the font in the lettering is is very like hey. Well, Loki the, always talks. All the all the Asgardians talk in that font. Yeah, I know. Even 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 girl Thor talks in it when she's Thor. Yes, I mean I understand. I just I read part of this on my phone and did not yeah. make it. Didn't make it super easy to read. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's fine. I understand. Uh, I don't know. I I it I I I think I think Marvel didn't know what to do with this. They often don't know what to do with their best talent, or rather. The thing that makes me so sad is it's uh it's what Colin Space Twink said in uh Shut the Fuck Up Marvel that quality is, you know, not only hard to define but often irrelevant to sales. Yeah. And I mean I, I think this is a it's kind of a testament to how like how good this is and that it managed to survive through all of this mess. Like, hey, we're really First of all, it's Journey to Mystery. And Journey to Mystery is, it was discontinued years ago, you know, as a title. And then they just started up again. And with Kid Loki as the main character in the middle of a couple of events. And yet it still survives. I, I don't know. It, it, it's, I'm always very impressed by titles that can somehow pierce that veil. Mm hmm. I, 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 and like, I, I don't. I don't know. I wish that it, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I have a feeling that, I don't know. There were, there's been multiple, you know, Loki books after this. None has, none have captured the zeitgeist in the same way that this, this arc, this, these, this series did. Also, they made him, a, they aged him up and changed things around. He was in Young Avengers, uh, which was good, but. He was easily my favorite part of Young Avengers. I uh, liked him so much. I, I think, I, I don't know, I wish that this book didn't have the burden of those events laid on it. Yeah. I think it would be cleaner. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the, that's what comics is though. Yeah. It kind of wouldn't be, it's like wrestling is it kind of wouldn't be the same thing without all the problematic shit. <laughs> that's, that's a, I had an interesting discussion with, uh, with a friend about how it actually is kind of her favorite thing about comics that somehow continuity has survived and people have worked to make it work and that it is this like sort of living document passed down over time 
and even though like like kind of the spectacle and the disaster is kind of a big part of the thing you know and 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 i think that you know wrestling's that kind of thing they're all it's that's all the same idea you know that that kind of looking in horror at what's going wrong and really really standing there and cheering it when it goes right i mean maybe that's part of the fun maybe that's a big part of the fun i think that i don't i don't think continuity is bad i think continuity can be very very good it is the reason the the marvel cinematic universe is good Mm-hmm. Is because you get to see all those characters appear in all the other films, and you know they're they talk to each other, and they all exist in the same place. It's when you, and I think this manages to juggle that those those issues with those events very very well. I think it probably might be the best Ventai ever. I don't know. There's probably a couple other ones I would say are up there, but this is like one that managed to go for a long time. That it's not just a one shot or a couple issues or something that really makes it essential to the event and actually does a better job than the event itself in making itself essential, making it feel itself feel important. Uh, I think the pro- problem I have with a lot of continuity is that it isn't essential. It isn't. It it become it's like needless busy work. It's like needless filler. I feel like having, like in uh, Spectacular Spider-Man this week, we talked about it. Johnny Storm's in it, and I really like that. I really like, I really like Peter Parker and Johnny Storm's relationship. Uh, I really liked it in Hickman's Fantastic Four run. I thought it was mm-hmm. great there too, uh, and like it really worked when Johnny, you know, theoretically died for a bit, and like all that, like all that stuff paid off and really. That, that those emotional hooks meant something. It's when you have, uh, I don't know, I think you mentioned it at some point. I forget which comic we were talking about. You're like, maybe it was a Captain Marvel comic. You're like, why is Thor showing up in this? Mm-hmm. I think that's what I don't remember. That's, might, a, that's I don't, a deep cut. I remember that. They're, uh, they're fighting dinosaurs. Right. And you're like, why is he in this? This doesn't feel important. This doesn't feel necessary. And I go, yep. and I, yeah, I think that's the thing that I go, ah, this is why, like, that's why this, I think, does survive and does work and thrive is because, yeah, it's a tie to event comics and there's a lot of weird Asgardian continuity in it, but it manages to piece all these weird disparate pieces together into a cohesive whole that works with what kid loki is and that he is a plotter and that he has his he has all these things going on all at the same time and he keeps everything straight and manages to make this plan work uh and it it really works for his character it makes sense that all these things are going on and he knows about the he has all this information about the asgardian continuity and about why this undead weird undead guy doesn't like this doesn't like Mephisto or and vice versa, and I can plot them two against each other and stuff like that. It all makes perfect sense. And tying in continuity when it makes perfect sense is great. It makes things good. It makes it makes you feel like, hey, this is a real world. Um, however, when you just have Thor show up, fight dinosaurs for no real reason, it doesn't feel essential. It feels like filler. Um, I don't know. I think. How did you feel about that third volume, which was? basically the after effects of fear itself and now the new the stat the new status quo of of asgard which is now by this point completely gone again because odin's in charge again sort of the third book no our third no right now nowadays odin's in charge 
or current yeah, no I, current aspect. Well, you asked me what did you feel about the third, third book. book because well yeah. the the status quo changed in that third book with how Asgard was running right because now they had the the All Mother in charge. Yeah, I I t- it read it was the most coherent kind of because I it felt like he was finally getting to I mean looking at it through the lens of being tied into a bunch of events it kind of feels like he's finally getting to set up and do his own story his way and not like, well, oh, this needs to be here and this needs to be here. So it reads the most coherently. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was like kind of the most silliest and most fun. Um, and I, what's this guy called? Son of Satan. Oh, Damien Hellstrom. Well, he, he goes by Son of Satan or something like that. I mean, yeah, he has, that's the thing. They have like a billion names. Mm-hmm, of course. No, it's, it's dumber than a bag of hammers, but like, I thought he was really fun. Like, and, he, and like, he can write a character like that really well. It may, you know, like it, he, he, huh? I was going to say it, I, it feels, compl- it feels definitely like a foreshadowing of the wicked and divine. Mm-hmm. Him, that character in particular. Yeah, he is. Like, they might as well have put him exactly in The Wicked and the Divine. He is the muscle guy that doesn't wear a shirt mm-hmm. or wears a leather jacket and no shirt. He's that exactly. You know, that's exactly the kind of character that he loves. And, like, I was really happy at how good Nightmare is and how good Mephisto... Like, like, he makes Mephisto look cool. Mephisto is a terrible character. <laughs> and he makes Mephisto cool. And it's probably because he's thinking, like, well, the devil would be a rock star. So he's just going to be in these situations, and he's going to be super fucking chill and really super cool. And it's going to come off like this. And it works really well. So I thoroughly enjoy this last book. Um, Do you like it more than the first two? Not enough Volstock in it for my taste. (laughs) Um, It is certainly very good. I don't know that it's my favorite of the three. I think it does have Volstock being Santa Claus, though. It does. Um, it does have it does have the dog that swears at everyone. That's also in there. Yeah, it's got a lot of good in it. Also, Volstagg talk telling his kids to kill all the Nazis. He does. I screen capped that. That's in this book. I believe so. It was in an earlier book. I definitely screen capped it. I forget exactly. Maybe it's the end of two. We... I forget. I think it was in two. I think Maybe. you're right. I don't know. It's either at the end of two or beginning of three. Yeah. No, I like it. No, it's it's. I mean, all, I, I think all of this is good, mm-hmm. even at its most confusing, which it is at yeah. times. Uh, it's very confusing, and that is a thing that I've said um, largely about Karen Gillan is how he can write a story with a billion characters and it's not confusing. But I think it. It takes him until the third volume of this to really do that. Like, I, I, and I think if I'm gonna if I'm gonna make excuses for him, I'm gonna say it's because of all the events and it is a lot of characters, and it's hard to know what everyone's motivation is when there's all this lore and all this backstory, and it's hard to fit all that in there and tell a story. I, I, I don't. I think we've talked on it about it every time we talk about books that do this but why can't we just have one artist mm. you can't always get what you want 
it I I think this book suffers so suffers because it has so many different artists on it. And I I don't I don't really think any of it's bad. It it's just it it is a thing we've touched on. I certainly I've touched on in that when you're collecting this stuff and selling it down the road, when you're when they're releasing the Journey into Mystery omnibus, ha- reading through it and having just all these different art styles all jumping out of the page of you makes it feel less cohesive and doesn't help with the confusing thing. I think from their perspective, they're probably not going to ever stop doing this. I know. I mean, I don't even know that Karen Gillan in 2012, which when this last book came out, I don't know when the first one came out, when they would have obviously would have been a lot longer before. But I don't think I don't think Karen Gillan was the personality that he was now. You know, I I don't think. Well, Wicked, the Wicked and the Divine certainly wasn't out yet. That's kind of the only thing that really matters, you know. He hadn't made the big name for himself. This is kind of one of the things that he cut his teeth on. And I, I mean, I would imagine this led to Young Avengers. Well, I mean, I mean, it would, it would not make a lot of sense to tell all those Kid Loki stories without this first. Well, there's well, all this continuity about it. That's the thing. Like some, like some of it came before, but it wasn't always like, yeah, the second, second version of it came at, after this, but. He also, I mean, he had wrote all of the uh, chronogram, written all that. Yeah. Yeah. But we've discussed the first phonogram book was not that good. Singles Club was out then, wasn't it? That's what you're saying? Uh, yeah. I mean, Singles yeah. Club's yeah. pretty good. Yes. Volume 2, uh, which is the Killing McKelvey, came in 2013, was the new... So that's even after this. Yes. So he hadn't even done the good bits of uh, phonogram. I don't. I can't. Let me. Let me. I have to look at phonogram separately because I'm. Well, I mean, this it seems two different things at the same time. Yeah, it it seems like that's that feels correct. I mean, they just they don't know. Like, here's this guy. Singles Club was before this. Okay. I could see it falling out either way, but I think they'd be skeptical. You know, to give them to give him a a dedicated artist, it's like a huge risk. You know, to to bet something like that when they can just get like a whole bunch of house style guys to do like one or two books here and there and just keep passing it off and like, oh, whoop, who cares? Yeah, I mean, I understand that they don't. I just think that they shouldn't. Yeah, that it. But may, like, it they're, is they're constantly like trying to find new talent and you know they want. People look. I, I, it's always going to be someone new, and they're only gonna like tie and they're only gonna tie it together for people that like actually have some pull. And at this point, he just didn't. I, I don't know. I don't think it's ever going to be any different. I mean, I definitely agree with you, but I I, I don't it, like. It feels like they're they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. It doesn't. They it, are, but like it's this is a thing that. Did you ever see the statistic on how many movies are bombs? How many movies fail? Most of them. Most of them, yeah. And I think it's probably the same thing with these books. That oh, they just it certainly is. Cancel books, and they just, they they basically set everything up and expect it to be a flop. And obviously, when you give someone this many issues, I mean, that's I guess it must have sold okay as he was doing it because it went on for this long. 
or they're just like, whatever, we just need you to write this. I, I mean, I'm really curious about those conversations, but no, I don't, I don't, they're, I they're mean, still expecting it to just I, fail. I think it exceeded all expectations of it, which were, yeah, obviously. the expectations of it probably were extraordinarily low, uh, which is where they put most of their expectations. I imagine for most are comic books, but I think it's a thing that we've touched on with, uh, shut the fuck up Marvel and all that stuff is that they are, it, it is a s- cycle of, of diminishing returns where you, launch book so many books and you expect 85 percent of them to fail and then just relaunch them again in three months and then less people are going to buy them because they they themselves go oh well marvel doesn't expect this to last long they're going to cancel it why would why should i buy this book if it's going to get canceled in four issues like i don't i have comic books are expensive why should i spend my money on this when it's going to be gone like i think that's half the charm of buying a batman comic is you go like well i know this is going to finish I know I'm going to get all the story. There's no, I'm not concerned about a Batman comic getting canceled too early. They're going to get to tell their story. And I, I mean, that's always the problem when you're really enjoying like a book like Journey into Mystery, where it's Kid Loki and it's a, this weird Sandman in the Marvel universe. And Marvel clearly doesn't know what to do with it because there's a bunch of tie-in comics and it's a tie-in itself to event comics and it's a the big mess of continuity. I don't know. I I think that I mean, and I I you don't know. I think there's a lot of people who are comic shop owners and critics who are are starting to say, well, I mean, DC. It feels like they're wising up to a certain extent. They're 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 not they're letting books run and they're seeing. Consistent sales levels on those comics, even ones that are lesser known characters, they're giving them a leash, and that consistency is reassuring to readers. It feels like Marvel. This is whether this at the time it was kind of just the standard, and it's they're still treating it as like the standard. But I think readers are starting to get tired of it. I certainly am. I'm tired of. I'm tired of buying Nova, really, really liking it, and then finding out that it's getting canceled after eight issues or something. And they're not, they don't put any marketing to it. They don't put any, they don't, they don't, they exert the lowest amount of effort possible in supporting a book and then expect it, expect the reader and the creative team to do all of that effort for them. I don't know. This I I feel like this book shouldn't exist. Like it feels like it defies a lot mm. of odds. It, it it like that's the thing. Like you every once in a while you get these books that just somehow dodge every bullet and get get through all that 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 nightmare that labyrinth that gauntlet. They run it and they make it. And I think that and like I don't know. Kid Loki feels even cooler because of that. Kieran Gillen's a good comic book writer. Yeah, he is. I find that the more I read by him. The more I agree with that, I think, um, I don't know. I think it's, he's definitely worth exploring outside of just, uh, I don't know, just the hits. And certainly, like, he was born to write this character. What it is about the kid versions of these characters, like, like Kid Apocalypse. Man. Miss Kid Apocalypse. I mean, he's still around, sorta. Sorta. I think. I mean, he's in the he's in the background of those X Men comics. Exactly. I I think that 
it, I mean, comparing Kid Loki and Kid Apocalypse, I think they're actually very comparable um, in a certain way. I mean, they're both mm-hmm. reborn versions of megalomaniacal monstrous villains. And we so often, so often in life, people get to a point where they look, they get to a version of themselves where they go, oh, I've made mistakes and I wish I could go back to a younger version of myself and erase them, so to speak. Live a different life. Live a different version of my life where I didn't do those things. And I think that conceited in of itself is is intriguing enough to a lot of people. Like that's And that is Kid Loki brought to life. Uh, Kid Apocalypse, I think, is a little different in that he is like, it is more about him being stewarded and dot, like, that. I think that's more about uh, nurture versus nature kind of argument. Mm-hmm. Well, Kid Loki is more of a more conscious decision to live a different life because he's presented face to face with the old version of himself. And like, and that's, I think that scene is probably my favorite scene in this comic in the, in the three books where he is face to face with this old version of himself and the old version of himself tells him why, what happened. And he goes, and he explicitly is like, no, I'm not, well, I'm not going to do the things. I'm not going to do what you want me to do explicitly. I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing that I want to do. I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. I don't know. I think that off that the thesis of what Kid Loki is, I think, is laid out in that scene, and then everything else is just kind of him navigating this world of of with using the same forces that he used to use for evil now for good, even if oftentimes at first appearance looks exactly the same. It's very likable, very charming, and he's a kid. People like kid versions of things, right? I certainly do. Tiny Toons Adventures. Like Tiny Tunes, I I don't I remember liking it a lot when I was a child. I don't think I've ever I don't think I've watched it once as an adult. Hmm. I wonder if it's good. Animaniacs, not good. Try to rewatch that. A lot of people have talked shit about it lately. I mean, I can completely understand why I liked it as a child. Mm-hmm. But I can't watch it as an adult. Maybe if I watched more of it, I'd kind of settle into it maybe but i try to get in i just i bounce right off i watched like two or three episodes i'm like nope oh, can't sorry yeah what are you gonna do nah yeah I'm not too worried about it uh journey of the mystery is a good comic you should probably read it if you haven't read it yep <laughs> anything you want to say else about it eric anything else you haven't brought up i don't know this is a book you <laughs> should read it <laughs> Wee. Wee. uh so folks that was journey of the mystery volumes one through three Good time was had by all. Right, Eric? I guess. <laughs> Next week, uh, we are reading, um, depending on what version, I, it, it was, it was titled Hulk, uh, the, uh, the volume one deconstructed, uh, the Jennifer Walters book, the, the character usually named She-Hulk was in the comic book called Hulk, and now they're calling it She-Hulk again in collection, and I believe is a, as, Continuing series is going to be called Chiyok. I don't really know, but we're going to be reading that volume, uh, volume one, issues one through six by uh, Mariko Tamaki and Nico Leon. Uh, we were uh, divided on our opinion about that first issue. I think we're going to have interesting conversation about it. That first arc, even I, in frankly, making Eric angry makes me laugh. So I can't see a downside to it. I'll have to practice my uh, sideshow Bob getting hit in the face with a rake noise. <laughs> You're pretty good at it, honestly. <laughs> there you go. That's where that's problem. You don't need to practice. You got it already. 
Maybe if you want to just make sure you stay there, like, I don't know, if you want to maintain consistency, but that's pretty close to perfect. Uh, but we'll be reading that next week. Uh, I think that'll do it for us. We are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. You can find us at handsomeboyscomicshour.com. Find links to everything there to our Facebook. It's facebook.com slash handsomeboyscomicshour. Twitter at hbchour. You can email us at handsomeboyscomics at gmail.com. Uh, if you like the show, Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe, tell your friends. Word of mouth is incredibly uh, important uh, in spreading the word about things you like, including our podcast. And if you do that, we really appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at Robbie Dorman. Um, I think that's it. Eric, where can they find you and your things online? A super good question. You can see my portfolio by going to freewillunlimited.com. And see most of the things I'm up to online by going to ericzgoodnight.com. That includes my Twitter and Instagram, where I'm known as Easy Goodnight. With that, we'll call it a day. Have a good one. Rock and roll. (laughs) 